top executives and crazy entrepreneurs gather to talk about the future of electric vehicles. This is the Driving with Dunn podcast. Welcome to the Driving with Dunn podcast. I am Michael Dunn, your host. Our guest today is Kristen Slanina, CIO at Park My Fleet. When she was an engineering student at MIT years ago, Kristen led her team to victory in a solar car race through five states in America's Northeast. That early achievement, spectacular achievement, inspired Kristen decades later to launch something called Charge Across America. Charge Across what? What's that about? Well, it was a contest featuring teams driving from New York to Los Angeles in five different electric cars. The purpose was to assess the readiness of America's charging networks. How reliable, how fast, how convenient, are they safe? So in this episode, Kristen recounts the highs and lows of that cross-country drive, which spanned 10 days. And she gives us a grade on America's EV charging networks as they stand today. Let's get right into it with Kristen Sanina, CIO, Park My Fleet. I have a feeling you're going to really enjoy this conversation with Kristen. She's confident, charismatic, and just a lot of fun to talk to on the Driving With Done podcast. The Daily Drive podcast brings you all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. I'm Jamie Butters, executive editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. We give you all the top stories each weekday in interviews with experts like Mike Dunn explaining Jeep struggles in China. How bad did it get as recently as June? Sales of Jeeps in China. Can you guess the number, Jamie? Oh, gosh. Was it four digits? <laughs> it was one digit. <laughs> and the number was one. Listen and subscribe to Daily Drive at autonews.com or wherever you get your podcast. Kristen, welcome to the Driving With Don podcast. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here. So nice to have you today. And I, one of the things that I'm curious about is how highly successful people like you get started in the very beginning. So I looked up your academic history and three things jumped out at me. One, you got a master's in mechanical engineering at MIT in like 1990 or something like that, how many women were in your class? You know, um, when I started, um, I was in the fall of 1987 when I started because I did a five-year bachelor master's program. So in mechanical engineering, when I started, it was there was actually 21% women, which was quite high. Um, a lot of other colleges, I had friends in other colleges who were in engineering and it was significantly lower. So I actually am very fortunate to be, you know, at, at a school where the main focus was engineering and there was 21% women. Okay. Still means guys are 80% of the class, but 20 is a lot higher than I expected. So that's number one. Number two, there's something about soccer. Did you play on the national or the MIT soccer team? So I had played soccer with my brothers growing up and, you know, co-ed and I played in high school. So I, I did play for one year on the MIT team. And what was also interesting is because when I worked in Germany, Ford had sent me to Cologne, Germany for three years, they had invited me, one of the guys in the cylinder head had suggested that I join the soccer team once he learned that I had played at MIT. And so it turns out that I was the first um, and only woman to be in the entire Ford league in Germany. 
And there was like 32 teams or something like that. 32 teams, one woman from America. Yeah, yeah. Position? So I, I would go between fullback and halfback, and it depended upon the team and the skill sets on the team. Okay, you showed them no mercy, I hope. <laughs> I think my brothers trained me well. So, uh, and I had to be extra rough with the guys in Germany because they didn't quite know how to do, how to play. Um, and so I think by being extra rough, they soon forgot that I was a girl on the field. And so the next day in the office, though, I'd always wear a, a, a skirt and heels to, uh, <laughs> to just show the dichotomy of it. But yes, uh, it was, it was an interesting thing for me. It had been no big deal, but for them, it was uh, quite life-changing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. What is going on here? We have an American woman on the pitch. <laughs> I think that's I think that's why I got away with it is because uh -huh. I was American. So <laughs> beautiful. All right. And then the third thing that jumped out at me, of course, was that you led a team that won a race, a solar powered car race from was it New York to Boston? Yeah, Mike. So yeah, that was really fun. So for some so my senior year, I was really driven to become part of the MIT solar car team. And I joined the very first meeting. And what had happened is the club had started um, a few years earlier Then the person who had led it left to start his own company to do solar cars. And the team was a little bit disbanded and was going to come back together. So it wasn't even an official recognized club. Um, soon I got it to be an official recognized club. I got us official space. I can remember we were taking apart 1970s computers and selling this, this parts for scrap metal cost and, and getting money <laughs> to help fund supplies for, for the lab. And we got to use the lab space that the computers were in. And so we were very scrappy back then. Um, I was living in the lab. My friends were like, Kristen, we never see you. It was basically going to classes and living in the lab. For some reason, I was so driven and inspired by being part of that team. So it wasn't, didn't take very long where um, I soon became co-captain and one of the drivers. So one of the big races for me personally, we did three races that, um, that springtime was the American Tour de Soul race the end of May. And I'll never forget it because the very first day of the race was my birthday, my 22nd birthday, May 20th. And it started in Albany, New York. So I had to take finals early. I had to drive the stick shift 20 foot U-Haul trailer in downtown rush hour Boston traffic to get to Albany, New York. This is while still being extremely sleep deprived from finals week. And I was literally the only one who'd really known how to drive a stick shift. So I appreciate the fact too, that I had learned that uh, in high school and had driven 50 miles a day to and from school. Um, so it was quite good at it, but so, never so had finals to stick shifts to solar <laughs> all in one 24 hour. So, so the crazy thing, like, is so we get there and the other co-captain was going to drive the first day because I, I wanted to sleep. Right. <laughs> and I was going to drive the next. We were going to alternate. So he gets there for check-in. I'm relieved that we're there. Record hot temperatures. Only for him to tell me he left his driver's license back in Boston. So I had to drive. And I had never driven the car because we were, of course, waiting to the last minute, fixing all the things in the car, getting it ready for the race and making improvements. So uh, it was a little stressful, to say the least, but very life-changing. And we wanted to change the world. Now, that was Albany. What was the destination again? Was it Boston? So it was Albany, New York to Plymouth, Massachusetts. To and Plymouth. we went through five states. So it was five days and there was like a rally. So you do your leg. And if your car was efficient, you would strategize like, okay, I have this much. Um, I'm going to bring it down to this power level because I have this much sun to charge mm -hmm. up because we can take time off our time by doing extra laps. 
And so it was all a strategic decision-making thing. You have to set yourself up for the next day. And of course, those future days, you started out with a full charge of battery, but you could only use the sun the rest of the five days. Now batteries was, so you're getting solar power to power. Were those lithium ion batteries or is it the predates lithium ion? Oh yeah, we were using um, nickel cadmium batteries. Okay. And we actually ended up having to be careful. I remember this, um, you know, this was kind of all new space. This is yeah. 1991, yeah. right? And our, we had really good solar cells and it was like 10%. Now, like on Amazon, you can buy 20% easy, right? It's a totally different world. But we had nickel cadmium batteries. And as I said, record high temperatures and full sun, it was like 95 degrees. We ended up having to um, put towels in certain areas of our array to triple charge the battery because um, the battery was not happy. It was mm -hmm. you know, basically um, boiling over. So well, um, how far could you get on a full charge in those days? You know, so I am trying to like, so we had like a one person, I call it kind of like, it's like the bullet car with the big solar panel array. So each leg of the day, like we were only allowed to go the speed limit. So we were on somewhat secondary roads with a speed limit of 55 miles an hour. So that is what we were driving. So good speeds, right? Good speeds. And that first day, I remember finishing that leg. If I remember, it was like about two and a half hours, but then I was doing extra laps and I kept doing extra laps for, I think, another hour and a half. And I can just remember thinking, okay, how many more laps am I going to be needing to do? Because as I said, it was so hot, right? There's no water. I had no water in there, no food. Um, and a motorcycle helmet, and I'm sitting on a hard Kevlar seat recline, and I could barely move my head in the canopy with that helmet on. So my visibility, like if I, when I was going out to make a turn on those extra laps, you know, you can only see so far. So I was always saying a little prayer that there wasn't an oncoming car coming as, uh, as I was going out there doing those laps. So I, I remember being in that car for like four hours that first day. So it was, it was a long, hot day. Four hours. And, and roughly the range, how far did you get? My memory is that it was like around 100 miles that we did. About 100 each, miles. Okay. That makes sense. Leg. That's pretty good at that time. All of this, of course, this solar race was a setup for something you would start 30 years later, a year ago now. Um, I know. So how could I not do something so cool like that on my 30th anniversary, right? Yes. So what happened? Charging across Tell America. Us. Yeah. Charging across America. Where'd the idea come from? Tell us more about what it was and what you learned. Yeah, so I was um, part of Park My Fleet's advisory board and the CEO, Mike, um, I had somehow, it was coming to fruition that, you know, I'd been on the MIT solar car team. During COVID, I had actually cleaned my closet and I actually found six of my newspaper clippings from the race itself. And, uh, and it brought back a lot of memories. So somehow it got up, it brought, was brought up at the advisory meeting. And Mike was like, oh my gosh, we have to do like a EV cannonball run. And Kristen, you have to organize this. And I was like, dang, yeah, I really do. I like, just as I was so compelled for whatever unknown reason to be on the MIT solar car team, I kind of had that same feeling like we have to do this, you know, by creating a, a structure to stress test the system and really get learnings from both the Tesla infrastructure and the non-Tesla. So I, I was like, yeah, I'll drive a Tesla every mile of those 3,300 miles. We're going to do this over 10 days from New York to Los Angeles, just like Cannonball. And just like with the solar car, I'm going to infuse some strategic decision-making because I did not want it to be just about 
the best car in the fastest time. So the other five teams, they had to have two people and they had to share in the driving equally. And they, we had five various cars. They had to use the non-Tesla infrastructure and going through each day, they had an opportunity of doing an extra credit. So was it worth the time and the energy to do that extra credit stop? Hmm. They, if they had um, lost charge because they misjudged their vehicle's capability and they didn't get to the charging in time, they got points deducted if they needed a roadside charge. They got telematics on the car. So if they were going to be speeding, they got you know points taken off. And there was extra points for the best score of driver efficiency based off the telematics algorithms. So you're so, really getting at the heart of the matter when it comes to electrics, because it's not just about speed from New York to LA. It's more about right. how do you manage this thing called an electric car with the complexities around the battery and the charging infrastructure? Exactly. And the thing that was also fascinating for me is to watch the human behavior element. Because of the five teams, three of the teams had not driven an EV, right? So. I actually thought after the second day that that some were going to walk, right? But, might bail. But you know what's interesting is that by day four, I saw like a turning point. They started to love their car, love their car. By the end of the 10 days, they did not want to give their car back. You know, I, it was so interesting to see that the transformation happen on that human behavior side. And, and myself, I experienced that personally driving the Tesla. I mean, I have to say my journey was very easy. I followed the exact instructions in the vehicle itself. It was very clear. And then when I went to go charge it up, I remember my first day, I was getting all these calls from the other teams, like they were having trouble with the credit card and the machine to pay and all that stuff. And for me, it was almost the opposite problem. I went there and I was like, wow, I heard about all these problems. And I had to ask the lady next to me, so how am I paying this? And she's like, oh, it's automatic. And I'm like, oh, how beautiful. You know, it's a great system. So yeah, you, you're raising a super important point. Tesla's infrastructure, convenience, reliability, speed payment systems, arguably light years ahead of everybody else. It, it truly was. It mm -hmm. truly was an amazing experience. Yeah. Okay. So imagine for a moment, one of your buddies from high school calls you up this afternoon and says, I want to duplicate that. I want to take that trip. I've just bought a new Hyundai Ionic 5, all electric. I'm in New York. I want to go to LA. Um, right. What's the single best advice you can offer me before I take off? What should I know? <laughs> I would say download the route that that we put out at Road uh, Travel's website because they they have that whole route and they've curated it. And so I would say do the route, right? Because I already proved it could be done. So whether you have a Tesla or a non-Tesla, every single team did it, right? And so I only had one vehicle who misjudged. It was actually the Porsche Taycan, who had the fastest charging capability of the 350 kilowatt, um, who completely misjudged and they had to get a roadside tow. I had another team who was this close. They were on zero, zero miles left. And they, uh, they as I said, they, they skidded into the thing, into the charging area on electrons, and, but they made it there. So they didn't have it. So I only had one team. So I proved it's possible. So I would just say, just download that, enjoy the 10 day journey and enjoy the really cool sites along the way. Cause we really picked it to be interesting, unique. And we had the teams with extra credit stops do some of the fun things along the way, like sing, sing Winslow air, you know, the song, um, on, on the corner of Winslow, Arizona at the, the intersection sign, you know, the famous stop in the song. So, okay. So this sounds like a lot of fun and a little bit too easy. So let me 
let me take this a little bit deeper because we, in my own experience, charging yeah. is not always straightforward or easy. So remember, it's a good friend of yours from high school and you want to remain good friends. So is there any sort of heads up or warning that you give? Okay, set expectations around this. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So I'll just tell you. So, so experiencing the non-Tesla infrastructure, there was a lot of frustration with the teams. I made it, as I said, I'm stress testing it because they're on the clock with their charging time. So they have to be very strategic on when they charge, how long they charge, mm -hmm. and time is of the essence. So I had one team that literally had to go to 10 different chargers in one day because they weren't working or they weren't at the, the power output rating. And okay. Wait a second. Wait, days, that's, that's such an important yeah. point. Wait, went yeah. to 10 different chargers because yes. why? Because they weren't working at all, or they were rated at 150 kilowatt and they were only giving out like 20, which of course in the race is like, that's going to take forever. So that's not going to make it right. Uh, did yeah. you notice any difference between the providers? So Electrify America versus EVgo versus another? Did, did some stand out? And others not really not really I, I would so the majority of the charging station was really one provider and so it, it's just that there's also a, there's a couple things so you have a lot of different oems with with their own internal softwares right you have all these different charging companies with their software systems and they're trying to all talk to one another right and so you're bound to have some issues and problems and i think that you know, when you look at the government money, it's great to have more charging stations out there, but you also have to have those mechanisms and enablers in place to make sure that they're working and that they're at the rating that they want. And also that local electric companies are not, you know, throttling that energy mm -hmm. um, just because it's a peak load time. Mm. That happens too. So there's a lot of dynamics that are coming into play. And so, um, but I do, I can tell you that by the time of the 10 days over, every single one of those driver teams had had multiple calls out to the, whichever company was having problems. And, you know, what the response would be, oh, well, we might get to that in a week or two. It's like, uh, you know that's not going to be good enough for mass, mass adoption. Uh -huh. So honestly, Mike, that's why the race really solidified in my mind that focusing on fleet conversions first for not only electric or hydrogen fuel cell, but any other kind of green alternative fuel. Like for example, how do you get um, cellulosic biofuels that have a CI or carbon intensity number of zero or negative, mm -hmm. right? That is possible. Like ethanol, you can get ethanol not made from corn that has a very low carbon intensity score. And so there's lots of, how do you get like the greenest fuel source that could be a transition? And that can be much easier managed in hubs and depots to convert fleets over faster. So yeah, right, we're talking now about your company Park My Fleet, which is focused on building out infrastructure for for fleets. Um, call it EV hubs, so they can park there, they can charge there, they can get service there, etc. Right? Yeah, and it's not just EV. So right now, it's for uh, it's basically for any fuel type. So ah. setting up a structure, and the thing that's beautiful is it can help companies transition. So. Right now, most of the fleets really are ICE, you know, internal combustion engines. So, and they might have a fleet of, let's say, 100 at a site and say, oh, well, we're going to try out five class three EVs, mm -hmm. right? They're going to start to start this transition. So at least you have a business, a structure, you have 24-7 coverage, you have your on-site amenities for the drivers because driver retention is important. And you also have, you know, cleaning, maintenance, and all that capability set up and, and 
the whole at the site. So it really does help as so as they start to convert those fleets over, how can you do it as easily as possible, make it as easy for them as possible. And, and as I said, accelerate it as well as other fuel alternatives that um, that are also sustainable. You know, we have to remember why we're doing this is for decarbonization. Right. It isn't just to get married to electrics full stop. It's to right. And yeah. dirty electricity with a high CI number is not not good. Mm -hmm. Not good. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to come back to Park My Fleet and your business model in a moment. But first, I'm going to ask you to imagine that you're the president of MIT and you're it's time to give out grades. So you've driven the drive. You've gone New York to LA in electric car. You, of course, were in the Tesla, but you witnessed what it was like to be a non-Tesla. So let's focus on yes. non-Teslas because that seems to be the bigger challenge right now. Okay. And I'm just going to ask you in terms of uh, different aspects of the charging experience, what grades you'd give to the charging infrastructure in the United States in 2022 as we speak. I, I don't want to get in, in trouble with all of our electric providers here. You know, oh, they'll so. be very forgiving. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so just you know, you can you can do great inflation. There's a That's lot okay. of room for improvement. So I would uh -huh. say that I would say that it would get um, below class average. At MIT, we're all about class average, right? Below class average. I think there's a lot of opportunity to um, have improved facilities as well as um, improved reliability. And I like to think differently about the grid. So in those areas that they're, they're doing energy throttling, let's have some renewable off-grid with battery storage to help mm -hmm. with those peaks. There's other smart ways to do that. And I'd like to see more of that technology out at some of these sites. So okay. opportunity for improvement. As you were driving along, just convenience and locations. I know in Colorado, there's a stretch of a 150 miles or so there were there no charging station at least at that time how at would you rate time, yeah. one to ten convenience and locations of ev charging infrastructure across america as you drove it um you know so as i as i mentioned i had planned the route very intentionally uh, uh -huh. and so i made sure that the you know like the end to end points i gave end to end points each day and they needed to figure it out. So I knew it was absolutely possible. Okay. So if you wanted to do your straight line, you're obviously not going to, you're not going to have the charging. You have to, you have to do some route planning uh, in regards to where the charging stations are located. You have to. So this is how I look at it is just as if, just as it, as the horse and carriage was different when we converted to ice engines, to combustion engines. It's just a different headset. It's gonna. It's not the same, and you're gonna have to think about it a little a little bit differently. But it doesn't have to stress you out and be that much harder. It's different, and so you just have to keep that in mind if you're gonna do a cross country journey. But now, honestly, like how many people have done a cross country journey, or even driven more than 150 miles in a day? Supposedly, according to the statistics, yeah. it's like 99% of the, of the rides are under 150 miles a day. And that's really a different game, right? Mm -hmm. When you think of the battery capability in cars and the range that they have. It is. This may be too simplistic, but people ask me about whether or not to buy an EV. I say, if you're driving in the city within 100 miles a day, no question about it. A fantastic solution. If you're frequently going over a couple hundred miles on trips, no. Not yet. Maybe in a Tesla, but in these other products, not yet. Uh, can we talk a little bit about speeds? You, you mentioned something that is important, speeds, and they call the fastest charge-up curve. So 
what if oh, you yeah. haven't driven an electric car what does that mean so you pull up to the charge station and you go here i go i hope i'm only here about 20 minutes then you discover there's something called the speed of charge what does that look like yeah so basically so the speed of charge is kind of like a, a big curve i wish i had my graph and what happens is after you get your maximum up to your 80 percent line so basically your ideal charging is between 20 to 80 percent that's mm -hmm. when you're going to get your max speed so your vehicle has a certain speed charge speed capability right so for example you might be in a vehicle that um has a max speed of like 150 kilowatt so if you're at a 350 kilowatt charger it doesn't do you any good you're only going to be you know charging at 150 right and what was interesting is one of the team one of the the teams um it even after the race they that's when they learned it they didn't actually recognize that during the race so their car was only capable of 150 and they were rushing to the 350 kilowatt <laughs> chargers um thinking it was helping them and, it, and it's not but after the 80 percent um your speed and if you're an ev owner you can see that it drops down mm -hmm. now you're on slow boat to china charge mode so i mean the the like i would do it like if i was at a, like a level two charger at a hotel i would plug in at night because of course i wasn't on the clock i was not officially part of the race and um and it was important for me to be kind of in the lead so that they could do the punch in at the end so i would just plug in at night and do the full charge and it would fully charge up but mm -hmm. in the race the teams they did not charge over 80 percent right because when it gets to 80 you mentioned slow boat to china that really begins to trickle like a yeah, mile like every a couple of minutes and you just go whoa what happened is it broken no, I know you're just... like what happened so yeah if you're paying attention and if you didn't know you'd be like wait is there something wrong with my car yes but you know it's for protecting battery longevity and mm -hmm. you know I think the manufacturers are doing a really good job of you know there's a lot of understanding that we have now in lithium-ion batteries and the optimal charging curve um you know battery health is important and battery longevity so those things are put into place to, you know, to ensure longevity. Now, I know in this uh, charge across America, there are five teams and each team had two people. But let's imagine for a moment you're a single woman and you're pulling up to one of these charging stations at night. Talk a little bit about what you saw in terms of the feeling of security or safety. Is that an issue that needs to be addressed or what was your impression? Yeah, so I think it does. You know, one of the things so. I, I have to say personally that, you know, the charging, the Tesla charging stations, the majority of them were very, I felt completely safe. One of the things that really shocked me is like, where are the trash cans? Mm -hmm. I was like, wait, I'm on this road trip all day and I want to throw away my stuff. Where's the trash can? So, so a lot of these things would be like in walking distance to a gas station mm. and I'd walk over to the gas station to throw away my trash and to use the restroom. And I thought it was really interesting that they didn't have them right there, right by the charging. Mm -hmm. And um, and then in the non-Tesla infrastructure, which I honestly didn't have, you know, as much of experience, obviously, as the other drivers, but I certainly did see them there, you know, in general, I would say they were lit and in general, they are by whether it's like, you know, another gas station or some kind of, you know, restaurant chain or like Walmart, Walmart you know, mm -hmm. something like that. Um, okay. So summing up, you said it already, but just to double underline right now in 2022, we're not quite at average score for the infrastructure in the United States, but it's early days. It's early days. It's early days. And right. Rome is not built in a day. 
And this is an evolution. And I think every year we're getting, you know, better and better and more aware. And there's a lot more people now interested in driving electric. And so it's going to start, you know, we're going to start to have that snowball effect. But just think of the transition that happened before. And, you know, another thing is, is that for people to change their behavior, this is what I asked myself, what would make someone change their behavior today? Mm -hmm. And usually it's a lot less expensive. It's significantly better, right? There's usually some big reason. And maybe it's gas prices. Maybe. That's, that goes into the pricing, right? The cost, right? If there's cost benefit or, or another thing that's interesting is so, you know, people have talked about, you know, wireless charging and how if your roadways are, have wireless charging, technically you can get charged up as you drive along the highway and never have to stop. That's a, that's a why buy, right? That's right. Pretty beneficial. <laughs> but we're not. How much time do you yet. spend charging? <laughs> Zero minutes. Beautiful. Right, but we're not there yet, Mike. But you know, that's I like to look ahead and get you know look at the art of the possible and like what could happen and what what is better, what would be better, and for me that would be better. Your own company, Park My Fleet, of course. You what we're talking about here with the infrastructure in the United States is not quite ready for the individual buyer who wants to drive cross country. Uh, it's early days. But on the other hand, I'm understanding from what you said earlier that Park My Fleet, you see a lot of potential upside with commercial vehicles and electric commercial vehicles in fleets. Yeah, because, you know, having like a hub and having something centrally maintained, you can ensure that you have the charging needs and are meeting the charging needs of your fleet. So, for example, creating that whole system with sustainable off-grid energy and the storage of that energy, the software that really manages the whole energy ecosystem. So there's software with digital twin that will let me know based off of the wind, the temperature, the driver, and whatever the route is that next day, what the energy usage is going to be. So it can help me manage my energy. And I'm also really interested in this whole V to X opportunity and V to G opportunity. Um, selling back to the grid at peak times, mm -hmm. right? How does that help me lower than my energy cost and help expand and augment the grid? Um, I look at that as a, as a win-win and for, for society, for the U.S., you know, and then, um, as I said, the full fleet services and even second life battery use cases and recyclability so that, that they don't have to worry about any of the potential things that they might find complicated or not know how to navigate. And really all they have to do is choose the vehicle. And I'm very happy to, to help, you know, kind of advise on that as well in terms of what is their use case, their dwell times, how many miles per day and so that they make the right choices. So who, who are your customers for that? Are there transportation companies, local, national, global? Yeah, so we're all national, and, and actually we've been now having talks globally, uh, which I think is very exciting too. And, you know, it's basically anyone that has a fleet. So any, any company that's moving goods across the country. And the thing that I like about having, um, you know, multi-tenant facilities is like, for me, it's about how do we get better asset utilization as a society and not be wasteful. So the thing that I love is, let's just say I've opened a site with, and I have 300 vehicles there and I have room for, for, some, for like another 100, I can then have contracts with, let's say, the local school district wants to have five EVs, but they don't really know how to handle it. Mm. And they want to kind of piggyback off of the infrastructure. That's a great win-win. And I'm, I'm all about school buses being electric, too, uh, with a, as a mom of three. 
Mom of three, yes. Three boys, no less. Three boys. <laughs> they'll be riding electric buses and they'll think, what were we doing with diesel in the old days? I know. Day? Uh-huh. Okay. So Park My Fleet, how do you guys, what's the business model? How do you make money? Uh, so the there's a cost for the actual parking spot and dependent on vehicle size. So the real estate cost, I guess, or the footprint. And then there's um, services such as you know, any kind of maintenance, repair, cleaning services that they want. Um, we have 24-7 coverage and, as I said, driver amenities. So if, if a company says, you know what, I want my drivers to have a shower there, then we'll put in a shower for them, right? And that's just part of the uh, SLA agreement. So that's the money. And then with regards to the fueling, alternative fueling, low carbon index, you know, intensity scoring fuels and the electricity, that would be part of the energy cost then. So, you know, we would have, we would amortize the CapEx mm -hmm. into the energy cost so that the benefit is then they don't have to, you know, spend that CapEx on that infrastructure and that they can spend it on their business model. You know, mm -hmm. so just think about it. If you were having like autonomous robo taxis and they wanted to domicile at one of our sites, they can then spend it. I mean, those autonomous cars are going to be expensive, right? Focus on their business model and they don't have to worry about the electrification side. On the electrification side, I'm curious here in San Diego, there's one provider of electricity and they move their rates up and down at, at their whim. We're subject to the, the, the whims of the one provider. So in your business, what would you do? You'd simply mark That's off whatever you pay. That's why I'm all about off-grid. I want to be mm -hmm. grid independent. Okay. So I am creating my own microgrid for the sites. Mm. And, you know, obviously, if I'm going to have only a couple level two chargers on a site, the grid will likely handle it. But that's how I can guarantee the, the greenest energy at the lowest cost. Okay. Love it. Uh, coming back to uh, big picture stuff, you and your remarkable career, I saw that You've been an automotive executive at Ford and Chrysler. You've been a consultant at EY, a software developer um, at, oh my goodness, I think it's third. Where? Third where? Third where. At third Yeah, where. I didn't really develop software. I was their transformation officer at third where. Yes. But software. So you have software, you have consulting, you have automatic, automotive manufacturing. You're in the dealer space with TrueCar, and now you're in the electrification slash, you know, EV hub fleets. Yeah. fleets. I call it electrification, but also energy. I think it's a bigger picture than just electrification because it's energy with the microgrid, as well as, you know, as I said, alternative fuel sources that can power vehicles in a way that gets the carbon out. Of those series of careers, which one is the most inspiring? Oh, man. So, well, that's a tough question. I think that they've all built off of each other. And it's really led me to where I am today. And I'm just really enjoying today because for me, it's about thinking of all these different elements of that ecosystem, making new contacts and connections. I am not about, you know, reinventing the wheel. So if, if a company ha already has a great, let's say, software system that does X, Y, and Z, I want to leverage that and be part of it. I don't, I don't have to create it by myself. So how do I bring that in together? So right now, I, I really am enjoying it. And I, I love going to events, meeting people, adding more connections. And it goes hand in hand with a, a passion of mine, which um, I just put an offer in on nine acres of, of 
pretty much untouched land in Vieques, Puerto Rico. So I'm building my own off-grid sustainable water collection and purification um, house on that lot nine acres. So it goes really hand in hand with what I'm doing. And it actually, I think, augments what I'm doing. So I'm, I'm just really enjoying what I'm doing wait, right now. Wait, but you're building in Puerto Rico. What? What led to that? Well, so during COVID, I had spent time there and I just really love the warm weather that, you know, even in December, January, and February, the low is like 72. And so I really, that really resonates with me because, you know, even Florida can be a little cold at times and, uh, you know, you just don't know. It's kind of the throw of the dice. So, so I really love the weather and I got to really just love like, you know, the mountainous beauty and the ocean that's always resonated with me. Um, and so I thought, hey, let me have a place here and I can spend winters um, in nice, warm, beautiful weather and kind of recharge myself. You must be getting ready to head down there pretty soon because I'm looking <laughs> at the calendar. Michigan, late November, time to go. Yeah, I'm actually going on a Thanksgiving cruise out of Miami in the Caribbean. And then December 13th through 30th, I will be spending time there and closing on the nine acres. All right. How will you get around once you're in Puerto Rico? Electric car, gasoline, something else? Oh, yeah. So, you know, I was just at the Fleet Forward Conference last week and was talking to the, the guys at Centro. I don't know if you've heard of Centro, C-E-N-N-T-R-O. And I got to drive it around in the ride and drive. And I love that car because it's it's very utilitarian, you know, and they have a four-wheel drive version, two-wheel drive version. And um, it's just cool. I was like, this would be perfect for my VAK's property kind of out in the middle of nowhere. So that's, that's, that's going to be the one. <laughs> All right. Well, that's definitely on the list. There's a couple of others that I've recently heard of, because as I've been mentioning it, that are very similar, but it's that kind of like EV four wheel drive basic. I don't need a hundred thousand dollar truck in mm -hmm. VAK's. I don't, I don't. So I, I want to be more practical. And, um, and as I said, I'm going to be off grid and uh, got to manage my energy just like I'm going to do for the park, my fleet sites. Okay. Three more questions just to close out and they're random. Are you ready? I'm ready. Ready. How soon will Ford, where you used to work for, I think close to 20 years, how soon will Ford have its first female CEO? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I had actually thought it would already happen. <laughs> and you know what? Mary Barr has been, a, has been in her role for over six years now, if I remember right. So pretty, pretty impressive. I'd like to hope that the next one would be a woman. Um, I'm an optimist. So let's, let's see if that can happen. Okay. Staying on the theme of women, you mentioned you have three boys. I have five sisters. So uh, wow. they, they tend Man. to loom large in my life. And I realize just what their potential <laughs> is. What's your advice to young women who have aspirations to build a career like yours? Yeah. You know, I'm, I love mentoring and I've talked to a lot, um, a lot of women kind of about this and, you know, like, you know, I feel very fortunate too. I'm on two public boards. And so I get that asked a lot. How did you get on your board seats? And so it really is a journey and it's, I think it's consciously, if I had to summarize it really quickly, it's like consciously thinking about where your end game is and what steps you need to get there, right? It's not an automatic, you know, leap. <laughs> you have to get the experiences um, and the right associations and sometimes the right titles um, in order to get where you need to go. So be very thoughtful and specific about what you want to do and then execute, make it happen. Hmm. Intentional. So for example, I'm going to build a 
Charge Across America event. Exactly. Uh -huh. And then okay. did it in six months. So made it happen. Phenomenal. Yeah. Speaking of that, is there plans for another one soon or is that a one and done? Um, I would love for there to be another one. Um, I what what my hope was is that this would be a launch pad for like an OEM specific one, or even let's do a truck one, right? How could maybe like a big company, you know, there's lots of big companies. So like an Amazon or a UPS or a Pepsi or a Coke or whatever, Walmart. How do we have maybe like a a, a truck rally? across country with an EV, with these EV semis that are coming out. That could be fun too. Or another thought was that an OEM might want to sponsor for marketing. So for example, if they're launching a new vehicle, we could have five of the same type of vehicles and get them completely instrumented so that the engineering will get tons of amazing data mm. from this race. And they get the firsthand experience of the vehicle and the vehicle system at the charging infrastructures as they go, and that will only improve their product. So I think it could be a fantastic marketing thing. So I'm happy to talk to um, any group, company, organization that wants to do a charge across America too. Right, say full-size pickups across America. You've got the F-150 already, the right? Lightning, Silverado coming, why not? There's a lot, yeah. yeah. Okay, last question, and I said they were in, in no particular order. Biden administration, if you were called by the man himself, Joe Biden, said, what's the single most important thing we can do to advance America's competitiveness with regards to energy, grid, electric vehicles, battery supply chains? What would you tell him? Yeah, it, it's it's a tough thing. You know, we're spending so much money on the electrification side, but I, I think that we need more incentive on the energy side, which is the grid, um, because that's going to be the the bottleneck for so many areas. So what good is it if they have a charging station there that doesn't have the energy? And so I actually really think that we need to prioritize in the U.S. the energy equation. And honestly, I'd have talks of this. We were just recently at the, um, the MIT Mobility Conference. You know, how are we going to get there without, you know, nuclear? And mm -hmm. nuclear today is very, very different than it was 50 years ago. And so I, I really do think that we need to focus on that, on the energy equation, on how do we improve the grid and the grid infrastructure itself. And mm -hmm. as I said, let's think differently about it. Every vehicle with a battery could be looked at as an extension of the grid, right? So I think this whole V to X capability should be a requirement and a must on all vehicles being made. And let's think differently about not only the core energy sources, but also microgrids that are sustainable across the country. And I'm going to throw nuclear in there. And nuclear to get there quicker. Get there Much quicker. quicker. Mm -hmm. I honestly, like we were just talking, um, I don't know how we're going to get there without it. Okay. We, we need nuclear to get there. Meaning, so for example, you know, I've heard Elon Musk say, hey, the first step is to remove the emissions from the tailpipe. There's no more emissions in electric car. Okay, good. Right. And then we can back up and worry about charging infrastructure and charging stations and the speed and the payment and the apps. And eventually we back up to get to grid. But what I'm hearing you say is, hey, wait a second, that might result in a huge traffic jam. Uh, we might get caught up in this. Just this you thing have doesn't... to do some things parallel path and just think uh -huh. of how long it might take to build nuclear. So uh -huh. you have to get some things in parallel path. Otherwise, if you do it too sequentially. What good is it if we each have an electric car and it sits there? Like that's not helping anything because we can't, we don't have the energy to charge it. <laughs> and, and, and the reality is that's possible. 
if we don't act now. If we yes. don't, <laughs> we have to parallel path some of these, especially long lead items like those kind of big um, energy initiatives. It can't, can't be done in a year. So, Kristen Slanina, thank you. Been terrific Mike, talking thanks. to you. This was, this was fun. Thank you so much. I hope we can do this again soon. Absolutely. All right. Take care. So, ladies and gentlemen, how about that? Kristen Salanina, she's one of a kind, terrific individual accomplishments and achievements, natural leader. I learned a lot from her this conversation. Number one, she confirmed for us that charging infrastructure in the United States is below class average. That's not so much a condemnation as a reality check. That's, that's what's real today in 2022. Two, in terms of making money, Kristen's a lot more bullish about commercial fleet applications than she is when it comes to charging individual private cars or SUVs. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And third, probably potentially the most important takeaway is that EVs are great, charging infrastructure improvements are important, but without significant improvements to our grid, we may find that the entire EV revolution comes to a grinding halt. Nobody wants that, but we better get our act together when it comes to the grid. That's Kristen's advice, and I'd have to agree. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap on this episode of the Driving With Done podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Please do take a moment to share it with a friend. Give us a five-star rating. You know, your word of mouth is so important to sustaining the momentum, the speed we have, the growth we have here at the Driving With Don podcast. So, so allow me to give you an advance, two thumbs up for your support, for listening, for your enthusiasm, your interest. We eat it up. That's right. I am Michael Dunn, and this is the Driving With Don podcast. Thank you for listening to Driving With Dunn. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And to reach Michael Dunn, go to zozogo.com.